Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. The First Draft Podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates, keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL draft, is now twice a week, posting every Monday and Thursday. Be sure to check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about what apparently is the new hotness in sports, Formula One. But first... All right, man, NBA playoffs, man. It's jumping. It's jumping. Shout out to you, Philadelphia 76ers. NB comes back. James Horton looking like a good old number two, which, by the way, is all they need him to be. For what it's worth, like we talk about how he's cooked. If cook means being a number two, maybe we overreacted. Maybe. And I say we because I'm including myself in this, even though I think he's cooked. Anyway, uh, well, we got the Mavericks. Bring that back. They get it to 2-2. Two, two. And it's really fascinating because I thought what Charles Barkley said on TNT last night was correct. He's like, they seem to be making runs when Luke is not out there. It's not that he doesn't play well. It's that he just plays by himself, right? He runs the Bel Air Academy offense, and that's not fun for the Carltons, except these Carltons are like actual NBA players. You know what I'm saying? We got that one. Great game there with the Celtics and the Bucks coming down to the end. Like, these are really, really, really strong playoffs. And now it looks like John Moran is going to miss game four. And that is whack, whack, whack. I was talking to my man Vinny yesterday because he's in Oakland covering the games. And he was just like, I wasn't even sitting that close to the floor. But the first half of that game, it was mind-blowing how good John Morant was just keeping that game decent. And then wrapping it with the half-court shot. you know. But it was one of those just crazy athleticism. I'm the only thing that can keep us in this game sort of performances that he puts up and then of course he winds up with a knee injury and we don't exactly know what the knee injury is and we also don't actually know how his knee got injured but it seems to have been hypothesized by the 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 grizzle that um jordan pool are they trying to say that pool pulled john morant's knee out of socket right like he put his kneecap out of place because I did think it was weird the way he reached around and grabbed his knee but you'd have to be extra diabolical in the moment to be like, yo, I'm going to pop your patella off. Like, you realize how crazy that would be? I do not believe that is what happened. I really don't, right? And the NBA said they looked into it. They said it was a basketball play. I don't have anything really to push back on on the other side, just because while I found what he did to be weird, it's hard for me to think that that is what caused the injury to Morant. But, of course, that then gets Morant on the tweets, talking about broke the code because Steve Kerr said the thing about Dylan Brooks breaking the code, you know, in the previous game where he, uh, you know, had to play that hurry Gary Payton. And then, of course, Dylan Brooks was suspended, a contributing factor to them getting 30-pieced by the Warriors. But want to talk to you a little bit about the differences in new school and old school basketball, okay? Now, I want you to understand I'm not talking about this from some sort of get-off-my-lawn perspective. 
because I understand you youngsters believe that anytime somebody my age gets to talking about something that happened in the past, you think I'm glorifying the old days. I need you guys to understand something. I remember the NBA Finals games with teams not even getting up to 60 in a 48-minute game. Like, you think about how you'll complain about a college basketball game where a team is in the 50s. Those games are 40 minutes and then we're like with like a 35-second shot clock. You know what I mean? We had NBA Finals games with teams not getting to 60. I do not pine for those days, okay? It, the physicality had gotten out of hand, but part of why the physicality had gotten out of hand, this is my theory, had been with those rules as they were, basically leaving everybody to play defense in isolation, the only way you could stop anybody was by mauling them. That was it. That was it. So you think about some of the cats. All right, think about John Morant, okay? Imagine trying to guard John Morant without being allowed to use some of the zone defense principles that are now have been allowed in the NBA since I think it was the year 2000, right? It's just you and John Moran. What you going to do? Because what you would see back in the day was you see somebody get the ball on the wing, maybe have somebody at the high post or in the post, depending upon what they were trying to do, and then three dudes over on the other side staying as high as they could and the reason they were staying high if they could was because the way the illegal defense rules were written. So like if you were standing, I feel like it was above the three-point line, your defender had to be at the free throw line. If you were standing in another place, the defender had to be above the bottom of the key. You see what I mean? Like it was all these very technical ways that you had to be there. And so you could just rig the system. And then you had all these dudes playing isolation and nobody to guard them. And so what were you going to do? Yeah, we're going to beat the hell out of you. Again, I do not long for those days, but I do miss hard fouls. And I'm not talking about necessarily like Kevin McHale, Kurt Rambis, clothesline hard fouls. I just mean legitimate hard fouls, right? I miss that like I miss safeties in the NFL hitting people over the middle. Not necessarily so they can concuss people, but there's an added element to the game when you operate with the idea that, yeah, you can go over the middle if you want to, but you better be ready. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as like standing over home plate in baseball. You want to make sure you get that outside pitch, that's fine. But that man might knock you back. These equilibria are part of the trade of sports that make them interesting. Like it's really game theory type stuff, you know? But those are things that are like part and parcel with the sport. And so with like what used to be the playoff foul and stuff like that, what Dylan Brooks did the other night was not a playoff foul. That's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about going up, making a legitimate play for the ball, just with a certain indifference as to whether or not you hit somebody in the process, right? But if you coming in the lane in the NBA, you're supposed to know, hey, man, this, this, this might go a different way for you, dog. I think that makes the game better. I'm not talking about anything that encourages injury, but I think that makes the game better. The other level of it, though, is this. When you got that, you're far less likely to have what Dylan Brooks did because you know something might be coming for you the other way. 
Like, basically, when you legislate out, like, the hard playoff foul, it's almost like you have instituted the designated hitter. And one of the problems with the designated hitter is if a pitcher decides that he wishes to headhunt, he suffers no consequence because he never has to come to bat. There's never a chance for this to come back around. The fact that it might come back around really makes dudes be careful about throwing at people. You think it can't happen to you? Then it do, right? Don't nobody necessarily want to be on the side of that. And I think that you would rather have a game that had playoff fouls interspersed than a game where Gary Payton is injured, Dylan Brooks is suspended, John Morant then gets hurt, and he out here talking about some kind of code. And he talking about the code because Steve Kerr talked about the code. But Steve Kerr had to talk about the code because if you don't have the hard foul, all you have is a code, right? All you have basically is a gentleman's agreement that we're not about to do this to each other. And that can only hold but so hard. Like that can only hold but so much. And so I get why they've made all the changes that they've made to the game. I just think they've gone a little bit too far, right? And what the league wanted to do, and it was necessary, was to place a greater emphasis on shooting and skill in basketball. And don't get me wrong. Skill is important. Skill matters, okay? But you tell me what excites you more. A virtuoso, classical Piano player or Elton John, Lil Richard. You understand what I'm saying? Like the virtuoso element of things can be very, 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 very good. But that ain't what hits you in the chest. And again, I'm saying this as somebody who can appreciate the sophisticated virtuoso. I mean, you guys hear me extol the virtues of Nikola Jokic all the time. Like, that's a bit of a virtuoso type of game. When the cats be out there hating on uh, Giannis, just being like, yeah, he's just bigger and stronger than everybody else. That's what makes him so dope to watch. Like, he and Shaq were so dope because they had that, but also a measure of incredible footwork. But that uh, quality to the game. That's why you guys know the kinds of players I like. Like, I love Russell Westbrook, right? I don't care if he never wins a game. I love Russell Westbrook. I love John Morant. I love that. But I also recognize with John Morant, I would also love to see what it would be like for John Morant in a game. I mean, he already getting knocked on his ass every play anyway, but he's going to the basket and there's somebody waiting on him. Now, of course, the fact that somebody's waiting on him can free up what you guys like, which is all this shooting and all this skill and everything else. But I would rather have the tenacity of previous playoffs than kind of what you got with this and you end up with like this little snipping and all this. Everybody got something to say and these cheap little fouls. And we go into the monitor to regulate and enforce what a flagrant two is. Like, let me tell you something, man. Cats out here throwing bows they not supposed to be throwing. I got news for you. It would stop if they knew something might be coming on the other side. I don't even think all that flagrant two replay stuff. They are trying to prevent head injuries. Which... 
I feel about them preventing head injuries because it does matter. But this is not football. We're not talking about the same game. There's not nearly the same concern or sensitivity to this just because people aren't getting hit in the head like that. So you want to prevent people from getting hit in the head. I understand. But this, I don't think this is actually doing it because the NBA just doesn't really have a lot of dudes like Carl Malone don't play no more. You don't have a lot of dudes that are just out here trying to do this. Like if you got to go to the replay to check it out, come on, man, we gone too far. But again, if you had the real game, somebody got something for that. I just think a lot of that stuff can enforce itself. Hockey operates on that principle. Now, of course, the thing with hockey is them dudes like to fight. Therefore, they are willing to do dirty things to engage in the fight. A little savage. Not quite civilized, but you know, that's how they get down. But I hope Moran can play soon, man. I really, 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 really do. And if he can't, I hope Steven Adams comes out there and takes somebody to the ground just to keep things spicy. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, Gabe, I don't know if I told you about this, but last year, Formula One hit me up and was like, yo, we want to send you a T-shirt. Cool. You know, they wanted me to do the whole Instagram thing with the T-shirt. And I, look, people learn to stop sending me stuff for that. Like, you ain't about to make me your free shill. You should ask me first. Now, they did ask me first. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll take it. And, well, this is actually what happened. The T-shirt was a bathing ape T-shirt. And it was camouflage. And I didn't know what the F1 logo looked like. So I got it. And I was like, damn, who sent me this T-shirt? I hear Bathing Ape is really expensive. Like, I just had no idea why somebody had sent me that. I was just totally clueless to the fact that, oh, that was actually the Formula One shirt. But anyway, that's how Formula One get down. Formula One out here sending me free Bathing Ape. It's a whole nother game of money that's going on. With a Formula One. My man Rick was telling me about that. He went to the uh, the Grand Prix in Austin once. And he was just like, you've just never seen this level of money before. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a whole nother thing. Now, Gabe, you watch what's it called? Drive to Survive? Yep. The Netflix series. I haven't watched it. Everybody I know who's watched it says they get engrossed. And that's kind of leading to a lot of the interest that we're seeing now in Formula One. But like, Gabe, how would you describe it? 
they capitalized on what makes F1 so unique. Mm-hmm. A global sport, the global money that comes with that and the pageantry that comes with that. A set number of drivers, a set number of teams, you're a teammate with someone else. So there's like an internal competition there. The Premier League, but with like Ferrari versus Mercedes. Here's the thing, though, I wonder about this. And you may have seen they had the Grand Prix in Miami this weekend. ESPN went wall to wall on it and everybody was there, right? Like everybody in the world seemed to show up, right? Everybody with big money went down there for that grand play like it was a great flex of american money is the probably the best way that i would describe how they did that f1 race even though gabe as you say it it was almost barely an f1 race because it was almost like they set up a go-kart track at the stadium just drive around hard rock a few times i guess they couldn't get it worked out with the city council yeah like have you ever been to monaco i have never no i went to monaco once and like i could imagine those souped up cars just like going around it just sounds first of all you want to talk about rich people man i have sent this picture on twitter before i if you guys want to see it let me know and i'll send it to you again bro i was in monaco me and one of my best friends and we went to the monte carlo you know the casino you know had dinner out there or whatever and i guess the monte carlo must have some back rooms because it ain't really feel like you know it it it, it ain't caesar's palace right at least it don't feel that way but anyway, I was out there, Gabe, I don't know if you did this growing up. As a kid, that's my car. You just sit with your friends and you watch cars go by and you see one that you like and you go, yo, that's my car. That's my car. And then you wind up having to fight about who has hypothetical ownership of this car that nobody can drive, let alone own, right? I was 38 years old fairly well off financially, playing that's my car in Monaco. And in the end, you know what car I decided was mine? The car I decided was mine was the Mercedes two-door coupe that had leather on the outside. The body was leather. How is the outside of your car leather? Anyway, that's the kind of money that F1 money is. That's that's the point I'm trying to make here, right? That's what F1 money is. The people who got leather on the outside of their cars. And this is my question. Is that what y'all really want to watch? And I ask this, it's not like, th- there's the sport element of it. And the sport, you know, especially if you're into like car stuff, is legitimately fascinating. But I find it interesting in like the idea of Americans really getting into F1. It sounds as though the narrative construction is nothing like the narratives that we typically like out of American sports. Where, you know, like we like hardworking underdog stories. These are like the children. Like not, it's not just that the guys get rich doing F1. They walk in, in the door rich. Their daddies are rich in most of those cases which is not typically what we like here. And so basically what it seems like is happening for a lot of people is that F1 is becoming kind of lifestyles that are rich and famous. You know, like it's, it's this glimpse into the world of this obnoxious level of money. And reveling in the obnoxious levels of money for whatever it's worth is something that Americans have typically been all about. Like, let's not get that twisted. We have loved rich people and wanting to be rich people. But I felt like in the last 10 years or so, there seemed to be a bit of a turn away from that, right? Like that's part of why 
the simultaneous rises of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump had a lot to do with, honestly, white resentment of rich people. And somehow Trump kind of felt like the people's rich person in a very peculiar way. I mean, obviously, I don't think that's an appropriate characterization of him, but I think you can understand what I'm saying or how people you know, could latch on to him. Like the way people have said it is, for people who don't know rich people, Donald Trump was, was like the way they would be rich or a lot of them would, would see themselves as they would be if they were rich. But again, it is a very kind of attainable sort of richness that he was offering. And then Sanders on the other end with basically eat the rich is the game that he was coming from. You saw what I thought was a rise in a sentiment that was in line with what I personally believe is the most underrated systemic societal problem in America right now, which is the startling levels of income inequality. Like it's a, we starting to look like developing country levels of income inequality. There are cities in like Atlanta, for example, is like a developing country when it comes to its levels of income inequality. Like this is happening. It's going on. And I've not been sure that people really want to see obnoxiously rich people just flex their obnoxious wealth on folks. And so I was reading this thing, um, I think the Orlando Sentinel had it, that Stephen Ross made more money off of this race than he does off of a full season of Dolphins games. Like, that's crazy. That is absolutely insane. And you know what else is insane? The idea that Stephen Ross needs another dime. Okay? You know, Stephen Ross, by the way, to do Brian Flores is suing for shenanigans. Let us not forget that part. All right? We got all the stuff that goes on in and around that. But I just, I do wonder, like, I know there are certainly people who do and certainly people who can kind of be separate from it. And I guess we are seeing... So if you watch Game Theory on HBO, still streaming on HBO Max, I recommend you check it out. Like what I'm saying now, I really do recommend you check it out. We did something in the second episode about uh, cryptocurrency, but specifically the way that sports is being used to push cryptocurrency. Do you know how mad I get at that Steph Curry commercial? He's like, I'm not an expert and I don't need to be. Well, was it crypto.com, whichever company it was, gives me everything I need to trade crypto safely. Okay, I mean, that I guess is cool, except somebody needs to be a expert. No, I don't need to be an expert. I just throw my money in the app because it ain't going to get stolen. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Like, again, maybe you don't need to be an expert. Somebody need to be an expert about my goddamn money. Like, we like, you know, the only place that I'm not going to be an expert about my money is like playing blackjack, maybe. And even then, they got a book with a chart. I don't need to be an expert. What somebody needs to be an expert, and that's how I feel about all this, all this stuff, man. You know, like everything you can read, all about all the stuff, man. Anyway, anyway, the thing about funny money, though, and what they're selling with the funny money, is the idea that we got the way for you to get rich, and it was just enough people who got in while the getting was really good that you can say that you know that we're getting that money. Like, I got a partner that was getting that money. But his game was, he wasn't buying Bitcoin. He was buying, he was mining. 
You know, like it's, you could argue that's like making your own clothes. But if you got the upfront money, that's how you could really do it. Right. Pay for the electricity, get the Bitcoin at a lower rate, sell it, go from there. But he he hit for a lick off of that. Right. And I know I'm not the only person who knows people who have legitimately hit for licks. It ain't everybody, though. Like most people I know, it didn't go that way. But you know just enough people who did something like that to believe that you can do something like that. And thereby you believe that you can become rich. And once you get rich, you probably going to have a list of stuff that you're going to want to do. And maybe what's going to happen with F1 is that it becomes aspirational in that way. You know what I mean? Because I would be honest with you. Like, I joke and be like, I'm rich. But I mean, I know what rich really is. Like, I am rich in the sense that talking to most people who are listening to this, you would, I would understand why you would say this person is rich. I have financial flexibility. Me, I am not what we talking about right here. You know what I'm saying? Like LeBron is showing up at the F1 thing and there's some people looking at him like poor people in the house. Hide your money. It's poor people. You know, it's just another level of wealth. Ain't no geek off the street about to hit for that kind of bread on these hustles that are here. It's just not going to happen. But people really do think it is. So maybe that's the spin because I had been talking about Jay-Z and I said this, this is about two, three years ago. That I don't think that the affection still exists for the apex predator capitalist that he sold in music and honestly is in life from what I can tell. I think that people were getting turned off by that. I think the thing about crypto for people is they feel like they can get rich without being predators, even though that's not how Ponzi schemes work. Um, but you know, but I think that's the way they feel about it or whatever. So maybe that's what's flipping up some of this, but I just don't think that ain't for so long that you're going to be doing this stuff and people not really, really, really begin to push back. Except for this one thing, income inequality means some people got a lot. Some people ain't got nothing. It's more people who have a lot than ever before. And it's enough of them to sustain this whole thing. And I wonder how that's going to affect our sports as we go. You know, the people that we've typically like thought of as being the sports fan, how much are they ultimately going to matter if they don't have any money? You know, are we going to start seeing a thing where in sports, like is the advertising going to change to be more reflective of the people they're really trying to reach? Like, are they, like how much are they going to be caring about selling this Budweiser in these games and stuff like that? Like, I just wonder all of that. Like, as the viewership changes economic fortunes change how's all this other stuff gonna go you know i'm like legitimately curious about that and yes i just took all the fun out of y'all's little race i'm sorry do you know who the sponsor was of this formula one grand prix in miami do tell (laughs) crypto.com dude there's just the money in that space right now is just so crazy. Like, I can't get away from crypto.com. They are everywhere, everywhere. And I'm just telling some of y'all, y'all out here buying cross colors in 94, or more like 90, like late 92, early 93, just a little bit. That, that, them, them green jeans was the heat like three months ago. Not as much now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bomani, this first story comes from business. This is Sarah Jackson from Insider. A man in Brazil has broken the Guinness World Record for the longest time worked at a single company. His name is Walter Orthman, and he's 100 years old. He's worked at one company for 84 years and counting now. It all started in January of 1938. He was 15 years old at the time and got a job to help support his family because they were facing financial problems. He started working as a shipping assistant at a textile company called Renault View. Over the years, he was promoted to a position in sales and ultimately became a sales manager. He still goes to the office every day and says his best career advice is to find a good employer and do what you love. He's breaking his own previous record for this achievement. In 2018, he was recognized for having worked 80 years at the company. Speaking with Guinness, he said, quote, All I care about is that tomorrow will be another day in which I will wake up, get up, exercise, and go to work. You need to get busy with the present, not the past or the future. Here and now is what counts. All right, so one. I am not surprised that the person at the office for the longest is a dude named Walter. Like that seems that seems to check out. Even in Brazil, that seems to check out. Number two, Gabe, did you seem to notice what I noticed, which was he seemed to reach his peak at that place a long time ago and never rose any higher. You ain't never won no promotion. You ain't never like go around and ask somebody else for an offer to try to get yourself a raise. He had had the same title for how many years? And look, if you happy, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong, Walter. Like, I'm not judging the dude at all. I'm just surprised that he was good enough to keep for 84 years, but the man ain't even running the place or nothing like that. Or or maybe he maybe he's smarter than us all. He was like, nope, you can keep that stress. I can keep this job here until the day I die. He went with that bird in the hand and rode that thing out for 84 years. Hey, man, you got to understand that Brazilian economy, it's a roller coaster. I don't feel like hey, <laughs> I would love to see the second longest employment streak in Brazil. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like Cal Ripken, 2632, the next person, three and a half years. Kind of like office space where they fired Milton 20 years ago or something like that. Yes. There was some sort of glitch in the system so that he kept getting paid even though he wasn't actually an employee there anymore. Mm hmm. And yes. then at some point they figured out and they stopped paying him and he shows up at HR and it's like, there seems to be a problem with my paycheck. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. This next story comes from politics. This is Dustin Gardner for the San Francisco Chronicle. California's population shrank for the second consecutive year in a row in 2021. The state lost about 117,000 residents or about 0.3% of its total population, according to a new estimate from the California Department of Finance. It's only the second year since data collection began in the year 1900 that the Golden State has seen its total number of residents decline. 
The state now has about 39.1 million residents, down from a high of 39.5 just a few years ago. The finance department said the population dip reflects a host of factors, including a slowdown in the birth rate while deaths increase as the baby boomer generation ages, a surge in deaths from the COVID-19 pandemic, increased out-migration to other states, and a drop in the number of foreign immigrants. Some of those factors aren't unique. Most states are seeing declining birth rates and an aging population, but out-migration to other states coupled with a steep drop in international immigration is driving the state's decline. Researchers say the out-migration is fueled in large part by the high cost of living in California, especially the high cost of housing. In past years, that outward migration to other states was often offset by large numbers of international immigrants, but California only had a net gain of 43,000 immigrants last year, compared with an average of about 140,000 per year before the pandemic. All right, so a couple thoughts there. And one thing I hate to be, I think people don't know much about like how studies and research work. So somebody may do a study that, and the headline will always be bad, but it'll be like, study, low rainfall in desert. People are like, oh, duh, whatever. But like, there are some things you still got to check back up on, even though you know they're true, you know? So when researchers come back with something obvious, it's not to knock them. It's, you know, you got to put that stuff in there. But when that man started off with researchers say one of the problems is the high cost of living and high cost of housing, I was like, buddy, we ain't got to talk about nothing else after this. Like, boom, right there. There you go. It costs too much. In the words of a gray haired man, the rent is too damn high. Yeah, people going like that's what, what they call it, gay and economics crowding out. Right. Like people are getting crowded out. They just can't afford it. Like, I don't feel like you have to get much deeper than that. But I would love to know this when they talk about the drop in, um, you know, in, in net immigration. What countries are coming at lower rates and to what magnitude? Because I'm wondering how much of that, of course, is, you know, we've been antagonizing our Mexican brothers and sisters for quite a while, right? Like how much is that, you know, how much of it is, you know, California has a high Asian immigration. So maybe some of that, but I'd be curious to know what countries aren't coming like they used to and why, because they, I kind of feel like, you know, it's kind of like how, like the first time, like Michael Jackson put out an album and like, it sells a lot of copies, but it ain't doing bad numbers. It ain't doing off the wall numbers. It ain't doing thriller numbers. Is California just like now doing like dangerous history numbers, perhaps invincible? Like it just ain't as hot as it used to be. Used to be the biggest thing out there. But now it's just kind of like, yeah, it's flashy. You know what I'm saying? But I don't I don't know. if I don't know if that's what I do no more. All right. Last one. So the reporter who reported this story wasn't able to join us for it, but I thought it was interesting. This one also comes from business. So apparently a city trader this past week made a error when inputting a transaction and it caused a so-called flash crash in European markets, which made several indexes tumble, you know, pretty sharply, sparking alarm among investors. Trading was temporarily halted. Some stocks were hit really, really hard, like Nordic stocks specifically, with one stock in Sweden falling sharply as much as 
8% before they were able to kind of like get it back online. This has happened before. And there are some like also safeguards kind of on the US side to make sure that these things don't happen. But just interested to hear your thoughts because one person can cause a whole, whole, whole lot of mess for a lot of people. All right. So I'm looking at this line graph for that moment. And it looks like the most terrifying moment you could possibly imagine. Now, granted, the way the graph is scaled makes the drop look like super steep. But still, the lemon booty that must have been permeating everybody, including perhaps especially whoever it was that accidentally put in 17 instead of 71. Right. Who, who, whoever it was that left out that decimal point and change something by an order of magnitude of a hundred, right? Whatever it happened to be. Like, was it the kind of thing that gets you fired or just chastised? Does this happen to everybody in the game and we just don't know it? You know, like, you think about this. Gabe, your job, any job, we all wind up in a situation where we're young in it and we make some terrible, terrible mistake that we think is the end of the world. And then they let us know, nah, man, everybody do something like that. You know, like it happens. You'll learn from it. You keep it moving. I imagine that happens with doctors. And unfortunately, sometimes somebody leaves crippled. It's just going to happen sometimes. They ain't going to bat a thousand. I'm not saying I don't want them to bat a thousand. I'm not trivializing it when they get it wrong. But I'm saying, all right, there's got to I'm sure there's some doctor who comes into the neurosurgeon and is like, look, man, that's why we got insurance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I'm, I'm I paralyzed somebody. I mean, not two people, but it happened and I learned from it and I got better. So maybe that's just all this is from him. It's like, yep, nope, it all happens to all of us. You'll learn from it. You'll get better. Or, you know, he was like, wow, something strange happened with my computer. You know, I went and corrected that mistake, but now I can't seem to log on. Wonder what's says it doesn't recognize my employee ID. Hmm, wonder what that's about. It's like the first time I uh, accidentally let an F-bomb slip in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except it didn't take out Disney stock. Hey, Disney's down 15 points because Gabe made a mistake. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right, Bo. Voicemail topic for this past week. That time that mom had to come up to school and pull you out. Something you did. What made you think of this topic specifically? Yeah, I honestly can't even remember. I think somebody suggested it to me. And I think I already need next week's topic, which is what I have more expertise in when your mom had to come check the teacher. 860-516-4119. That'll be next week. All right. This first one comes from William in Oakland. Here it is. This story is from when I was in the fifth grade. So like late 90s, like 99 or something. And Pokemon just came out. Pokemon was the hottest thing on the playground. Everybody was playing the game. Everybody wanted the cards. 
So Pokemon just came out. Side note, real quick. My whole elementary school, all black. Nobody else was white. Maybe there's like one Asian family. Everybody else is black. So my one Asian partner, James, was the one who had the hookup on Pokemon cards. I don't know what he did. I don't know who he was getting it from, but he had all the cards, full binder, the whole night. So, of course, he started selling cards because we was all trying to get cards. He started selling cards. And then one day, my other homeboy, I'm not going to say his name, showed up $200 for the whole binder. The rest of the class was shook. I was shocked. Nobody even thought to think, like, where do you get $200 from? He was just like, I want to buy the whole binder, $200. And James was like, all right, for sure. You know, quick quick 200 which in, you know, 99 at 10 years old is a lot of money. Next day, his mom shows up. The dude who bought the, the book, mom shows up. Turns out he stole $200 out of his mom's purse and went and used that to buy the cards. So I know you mentioned several times your mom was always at the school. You know what it's like when a black mom shows up to the school. So everything's quiet. He she got jammed up outside, you could hear yelling and stuff, and ultimately he made him give the cards back. James had to give the 200 back, and you could, he could see a look of disappointment on his face because he made 200 one day, and it was gone the next day. Uh, but that's how you know the Pokemon was real in the streets back then. A Pokemon was cracking these streets, apparently. Still not your mama's purse. I got bad news for Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Purse, too. All sales final. No refunds. No exchanges. You say he took that money out your purse. I don't know that. I got no idea what just happened. None whatsoever. You need to take that up with your son, ma'am. That really doesn't have anything to do with me. This sounds like a family issue. And I'm not part of the family. And I don't want to interfere. All sales final. All right, this next one. The guy didn't leave where he's from. His name is Jimmy. Here it is. Man, I got a story about my boy mom snatching him up. I got one of them boys. His mother is one of them old school mothers. There's one particular year his mother was pissed. Whooped him in the lunchroom in front of everybody. But not only that, she came through the school, looked in the doorway of everybody's classroom who lived on the block. Got to my classroom, looked in, saw me in there, walked in the room, told my teacher, look, I'm checking up on everybody on the block. How's Jimmy doing? Oh, he okay? Okay, not this room, but I'm kicking everybody's ass who acting up on the block. She didn't play. She's still out here thugging and bucking, too. I'm sure she's thugging and bucking. Like, you don't stop. If, if that's her level of thugging, that ain't something you grow out of at that age unless somebody called child abuse on y'all. She was coming to rep for the whole block. Wow. All right, this last one. Guy didn't leave his name or location, but here it is. So I was in fifth grade. I was around Christmas time. I had just got a new flip track phone. I thought it was the hottest in the city. My first week with the track phone, I take it to school. My mama already said, don't take your phone to school. You know it's going to get stolen. You know you're going to lose it. You don't even need to be having a phone at this age. But being me, I snuck my phone to school, threw it in my backpack. So at this time, my homeroom teacher was actually pregnant, so we had a substitute. And this substitute didn't play no games. She was about 6'3" about 220, 
solid, stocky, can't go hoop. So you already know how that goes. So <laughs> I take my phone, school, all of a sudden, end of school day, let's skip there, I lose my phone. It's lost, it's stolen, whatever. I can't go back home and tell my mom of this. So I just kept it on the hush, thinking I could play it off a couple of weeks and be like, my phone broke, something, whatever. So about a week later, I'm thinking I'm in the clear. There was an unexpected parent-teacher conference at my school. So my mom would go to the school, have a conversation with this substitute, and she get the info. Talking about my phone got stolen, my mama don't know any of this, all that. So I'm in basketball practice, basketball practice. We're on the line about to run. Everybody's in a single file line about to hit some suicides or whatever. All of a sudden, my mama comes busting through the gym door. She comes through the gym door, hits a L cut, comes straight for me, comes behind me and whispers in my ear, you going to get it when you get home. you going to get it. I wanted to stay in practice the rest of my life. <laughs> Thanks, Bo. And it sounds like you were past the whooping age at that point. I ain't never really get too many of the, the whooping game. I wasn't really how my parents got down. But everybody that had a, like, that grew up in whooping land had a last whooping where it was just like, yo, I thought I was out of the whooping window. And you managed to do something. I was like, oh, nope, 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 nope. There's still a whooping waiting right on the other side for you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Gabe Bassane handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thanks to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Sarah Jackson of Business Insider. Check out her story about a 100-year-old man that broke the Guinness World Record for the longest time employed at the same company. Also, thanks to Dustin Gardner of the San Francisco Chronicle. Check out his story on California losing population for the second year in a row. Uh, remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.